Joseph Smith's 30th and 31st Wives stories next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. We've been doing an ongoing series telling the stories of Joseph Smith's 34 wives, his legal wife Emma, and each of his 33 illegal (laughs) plural wives. And Todd Compton uh, is a Mormon historian, and he wrote a book entitled In Sacred Loneliness, documenting in great detail the lives of each of Joseph Smith's plural wives. As always, his book is the primary source for our material. We're getting close to the end of the list of Joseph Smith's wives, and this time we're talking about his 30th wife, Olive Gray Frost, and his 31st wife, Melissa Lott. So, beginning with Olive Frost, she was born July... uh, 24th in 1816 in the state of Maine. She had a sister named Mary Ann who was her biographer and she was seven years older than Olive. Uh, we didn't have a picture of Olive Smith but we did find a picture there of Mary Ann um, who, evident, who was seven years older than Olive. But as a young woman Olive was said to be pious, religious and, and she was also a seamstress. In 1836, Brigham Young, with five others, were traveling in Maine and preached their Mormon gospel. (laughs) And the Frost family was enthralled with it. Mary Ann and her mother were baptized in August of 1836. And later that year, Mary Ann moved to Kirtland, where she met and married Parley P. Pratt, who was at that time a widower with one child. In October of 1839, Olive heard a woman, or excuse me, a Mormon sermon, and she believed it, and she was baptized too. And by then, there were six members of the Frost family who had joined the Mormon ranks. She and her family had close ties with Parley P. Pratt since her sister, Mary Ann, was married to him. We quote. On page 588, in Nauvoo, Parley P. Pratt was assigned a mission to England, and Mary Ann accompanied him to the East Coast. On March 9th, he, with other apostles, boarded a ship for England, but Mary Ann and her children stayed in New York. Now they went on missions a lot in those days, you know, traveling the oceans blue to get to different... uh, uh, especially in Europe, and preach the Mormon gospel. Well, when Pratt got to England, he also let her follow him, informing him that his wife and children were down with scarlet fever, and it mm-hmm. worried him so much, he turned around and went right back home. And, of course, travel in those days was long and and uh, slow, and when he got home, they were all better. <laughs> That's good. So he went back to England. But this time he took his family, and Olive also went to be with Mary Ann. Well, when their mission trip was completed in October of 1842, they traveled back to America where Joseph Smith became pretty important in the family. (laughs) When they reached Nauvoo, Joseph Smith greeted them and all had met him for the first time. Marianne Winters remembers him saying, Come, Brother Parley, bring your folks right up to the house, to my house. It is only a little way and you can be more comfortable after your long journey. The Pratts stayed with the Smiths briefly. So they stayed with the Smith family for a short time, and then they moved into their own place, and Olive continued living with her sister. Now, we remember all of these wives that we've studied their stories 
a lot of them stayed in the Smith home. That's, that's a very common thing. Yeah, it, it really is. And this, too, because Olive stayed in that home. Now, being a sister-in-law, of course, of Party P. Pratt, who was a Mormon apostle, gave Olive quick entry into the elite Nauvoo circles. <laughs> and she was soon friends with Eliza Snow. And, of course, she was the plural wife of Joseph Smith. Olive was mingling with Nauvoo's elite women and soon joined their inner circle of polygamy herself. Within just a few months, she accepted polygamy, and at 27 years old, she became a plural wife of Joseph Smith. She seemed to realize and appreciate the magnitude of the great and important mission allotted to women in the perfect plan of this gospel dispensation, and she desired to do her part in the good work. <clears throat> she freely accorded to man the title of king and joyfully accepted the place of queen by his side. It was at this time in the summer of 1843 that the principle of plurality of wives was taught to her. She never opposed it, and as in the case of baptism, soon accepted it to be her creed, in practice as well as in theory. She was married for time and all eternity to Joseph Smith sometime previous to his death and martyrdom. Now, of course, this comes from Todd Compton's book, yeah. and he wonders if her conversion to polygamy was really all that easy, because it made it sound like it was very easy. Yeah. Remembering that Marianne is her biographer, and and he said that uh, most women, of course, and, and some men, initially agonized over the idea of polygamy before they finally and reluctantly accepted it. There were some who even felt suicidal and when they were first confronted with the idea and wonders why Olive didn't struggle more hmm. about it. And then, of course, I wonder also if maybe she did, and since her sister was her biographer, she either didn't know the, of the struggle or she chose not to record it. Possible, huh? But that idea is questionable, too, because later on, Marianne's husband, Parley P. Pratt, began taking plural wives, and she couldn't handle it and finally divorced him. <laughs> wow. So, so, and then Party P. Pratt, he ends up getting shot in Arkansas because he stole a wife and her, all of her kids and her That's husband right. pursued, uh, pers went after them and shot him. So anyway, it's a crazy thing. But uh, this is, <laughs> we have another quote. Absolutely nothing is known of what Olive's married life with Joseph Smith was like. She probably spent time with him on occasion and certainly spent time with his other wives. We do not know from an account of her grief at his death that she was deep. We do know, I'm sorry, we do know from an account of her grief at his death that she was deeply attached to him. Well, during this time, like I said, Parley Pratt took his first plural wife. Her name was Elizabeth Brotherton. Uh, Marianne suffered great difficulty as she transitioned into a life of polygamy. In fact, as Pratt took more and more young wives, the tension became so great she finally divorced him. And there's a picture of Pratt and Brotherton there. Uh, oddly, in 1846, Marianne was sealed for eternity to Joseph Smith. Oh my. But Parley and Parley stood proxy <laughs> for Smith. Now, some scholars have suggested that Marianne might have been a polyandrous wife of Joseph Smith, but Compton says that there is no conclusive evidence that's so. Mm. However, 
One account that I read said she was secretly sealed to Joseph Smith by Heber C. Kimball about the same time that her sister Olive was. And it's certainly possible because he did marry Mary women and he yeah. kept it highly secretive. So it is possible that that is the case. But Compton writes that after Joseph Smith was killed and his dead body arrived in Nauvoo, many of his plural wives showed intense grief over Smith's death. And he writes this about Olive. One of them, Olive Frost, went entirely mad, but his own wife, Emma, appeared remarkably resigned. This is virtually the only detail we have that indicates the inner dynamics of Olive's marriage to Smith. But there isn't a lot of information either about the marriage. As we've mentioned before, many of Joseph Smith's widows were married off to other polygamous men when he died. Uh, after he died, most of them to Heber C. Kimball and yeah. to Brigham Young. And on November 7th, Olive Frost was sealed to Brigham Young for time. Nothing else is known about her relationship with him either. Mm. She was approximately his 18th wife. Isn't that something when you have to say approximately, approximately. for a man's <laughs> yeah. wife? Yeah. And less than a year later, in September of 1845, Olive suffered a bout of malaria, and she died at, on October 6th. Little else is known about her. Mm but that she was an intensely religious woman. Wow. So that's the story of his 30th wife. And now we go to Melissa Lott. There's a little bit more information yeah, about yeah. her. He's, she's wife number 31, and there's a picture of her. And you know, she's described as being a very lovely uh, woman at the time that this is written. But then pictures in those days were not very flattering. Not very, and, uh, apparently and, not. <laughs> and some yeah, of the pictures of the wives that we see, are old, they're older. They weren't younger and, yeah. and as attractive, of course, right. as Joseph Smith seemed to pick them. But anyway, Melissa Lott was born born January 9th of 1824 in Pennsylvania. In 1833, Mormon elders traveled to Pennsylvania and her parents were converted through their Mormon preaching. In March of 1836, they moved to Kirtland, Ohio, and there met Joseph Smith for the first time. Melissa was baptized at age 13. Melissa's father was Cornelius Lott, and he was quite an important person in those early days. We read this about him. Uh, on August 6th of 1836, he was awarded an elder's license, interesting wording, mm -hmm. and he received a Kirtland Temple anointing. He joined the Kirtland Anti-Banking Safety Society and probably lost all of his savings in that disaster. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, Joseph Smith and his shenanigans. Huh? Yeah. In 1838, the Lott family moved to Missouri and they settled near Hans Mill was there for only a short time, but it was during that time that Cornelius distinguished himself <laughs> as being a Danite paramilitary leader for the Mormon cause. On July 4th, he was appointed to act as general with Danite leaders during a military procession. Hosea Stout remembered him as commander of the horse in Far West. So he had quite an elite yeah. um, time with serving with the Mormons. And of course, this information tells us a lot about um, her father's zeal for Joseph Smith and his Mormonism. Now, we know nothing of Melissa's Missouri experience except that she was 14 and the daughter of a man who was deeply involved in Danite activities during the Mormons' troubles. We quote. Page 597. But by June 1842, they were living nearer to Nauvoo on the prairie, three to four miles southeast of town on the Carthage Road. There, they worked the Joseph Smith farm, living in a large eight-room farmhouse and receiving frequent visits from the prophet. 
Cornelius had clearly become one of the church leader's favorites. And he had a daughter. Yes, he did. <laughs> the, the farmer's daughter. An 18-year-old <laughs> yeah. Cornelius, of course, managed his farm until uh, the Mormons left Nauvoo in 1846. But he continued to serve in the military capacity as a captain of Smith's bodyguard. He had to have a bodyguard. Yeah. When Melissa was 18, she lived for a time at the, at the Joseph Smith's home uh, to help Anna, Emma. Now, Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith III, remembered her as a tall, fine-looking woman with dark complexion, dark hair, and eyes. He said she was a good singer, quite celebrated locally, and he said this about her. I have heard her sing at parties and receptions in private home, on the stage where theatrical performance were, were given, and on the political rostrum when William Henry Harrison was running for president. So she obviously had yeah. a good voice. Yeah. And a woman like this certainly would not go unnoticed <laughs> by a polygamous man like Joseph Smith, who was always on the lookout for another wife. Besides that, she had lived and worked in his home. Yes, as we say. <laughs> Finally, he proposed plural marriage to her, perhaps through her father. On June 29, Eliza Snow, Elvira Holmes, Elizabeth Whitney, and Elizabeth Durfee, four women in the innermost polygamy circles of Nauvoo, rode out to the Lot Farm, probably to help introduce Melissa to the doctrine of celestial marriage. She accepted the proposal, and the marriage took place on September 20, 1843, with Hiram Smith officiating and Melissa's parents standing as witnesses. And there's <laughs> there no <clears throat> there's no indication what she thought of it. You know, there just yeah. isn't any anything recorded about that either. And Joseph Smith's journal confirms that on that very day he spent that day at the farm at their farm. When she was 68 years old, Melissa recalled the wedding vow, and she said it went like this. I find this very yeah, interesting. Yeah, this is, you both mutually agree to be each other's companion, husband and wife, observing the legal rights belonging to this condition, that is, keeping yourselves holy for each other and from all others during your lives. <laughs> this is but, a polygamy <laughs> wedding vow. I can't believe it. That may be her vow, but I don't think it was Joseph's <laughs> vow. Oh, Compton wrote that it was puzzling that part of the vow stipulated that they were to keep each to themselves, holy for each other and from all others. Yeah. But I find it more than just puzzling. I find it hypocritical. Joseph Smith knew what he was doing, and he knew he already had 30 other wives. What kind of a vow is that anyway? She was to belong to Joseph, but he could choose, you know, who to, he could belong to, as many women as he wanted. And why did he take a vow that everyone knew he wouldn't be honoring? That has me stumped. Few, yeah. few details about Melissa's marriage to Smith is known, but later in her life, she gave court testimony about her marriage to him. In court testimony given later in her life, she gave frank testimony within the bounds of Victorian language that there was a sexual component to the relationship. She testified that she was Smith's wife in very deed, though she also said that there were no children born as a result of the marital bond. We know that the marriage was secret, as were all of Smith's plural unions. In the Temple Lot case, Melissa testified, I did not go to church with Joseph Smith, was never seen on the streets, or in public places with him as his wife during his lifetime. 
That sounds like true love. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, true love. After her marriage to him, Melissa lived in Joseph Smith's home, and she attended a school in the brick storehouse, and she would take three of Joseph Smith's children with her, Joseph the Third, Frederick, and Alexander. And so she knew these young boys mm. um, as uh, when they were younger, as they were growing up. Now, please keep this in mind, because later we're going to explain Joseph Smith the Third's uh, visit to Melissa after she moved to Utah. On June 24th, 7th, excuse me, of 1844, when Smith was killed, Melissa was suddenly a widow. And in the following years, very little is known about her or her family. Historian, Mormon historian, Andrew Jensen wrote that she continued to live with Emma occasionally after Smith's death. And mm. we have to wonder if Emma knew that her husband had also been Melissa's plural husband. Later, Melissa was sealed to Joseph Smith for eternity, but she... she already had been, so I don't know why they had these double repeated ceremonies, but they did quite a few of them. And 47-year-old Milton Bernheisel stood proxy, and then she was sealed to Bernheisel for time. Oh, my. He was a doctor who had become a close friend of Joseph Smith and was also Smith's personal attache and also lived in the mansion house. So there's some strange relationships going on there. Uh, Bernheisel had already started his harem. Melissa became his seventh plural wife. He had also had himself adopted to Joseph Smith. So we have another very strange relationship all wrapped around Joseph Smith. Yeah. It's just... It's, Strange. Now, not very much is known about this marriage either. It's known that she traveled west with the Mormons, and within three years of her marriage to Bernheisel, she married another man, but there's no documentation of what happened. Her father, Cornelius, remained in high standing in the Mormon church, and he took several wives for himself as well. Now, after arriving in Salt Lake City, Melissa married her third husband in 1849. And his name was Ira Jones Willies. When she married him, he fully understood that he was marrying a widow of Joseph Smith and that their association together would end with this life. And then she would be an eternal wife of Joseph Smith. Now, that, of course, is Mormon <laughs> mythology. Right. It's not true. The Bible clearly states that marriage ends at physical death. And Jesus said there are no marriage relationships in heaven. Well, in Utah, the Lot family began moving steadily but slowly to Utah County. We quote, In about 18, October of 1850, Mary Elizabeth Lott moved to Lehigh with her new husband, followed by a virtual exodus of Lott's and their in-laws to Utah Valley, some 50 miles south of Salt Lake City, including Melissa's mother, John Lott, and Almira Lott Murdoch, and her husband John. Their little settlement near Utah Lake became known as Lottville. Have you ever heard of Lottville? No, oh, and I should have looked it up, but I, I haven't. <laughs> I heard of did. Lockville. I tried to look it up, but I couldn't yeah, locate no, it. I think it's probably been yeah. another name has been given to it, and maybe sure. they just called it Lottville because all the lots were there, and it right. had another name. Right. But I think it was just the, the whole Lehigh area. Yeah. Now, Melissa became a polygamous wife for the third time, February 1857, in the upper room of Brigham Young's office in Salt Lake City. Her husband took a plural wife, Naomi Saraya Parks. She was 16 years old, oh uh, but the marriage quickly resolved because she later remarried someone else. Now, 
A tragic accident happened in 1863 where Melissa's son and her husband were both killed. She was nearly 40 years old when she became a widow again, and very little is known about her life after the death of her husband. Melissa herself died July 13th of 1898 when she was 74 years old. But before Melissa died, she was interviewed by Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith III. He made that trip out here, didn't he, to he, yeah. come to Utah? He came to Utah to find out more about the allegations about his father. Yeah. And he wanted to disprove all the rumors that her father was a polygamist because Emma, or his father was a polygamist, because Emma had repeatedly told her children that Joseph Smith did not have plural wives. So he came out here and he interviewed a lot of the women who had been plural wives. Well, we quote from page 603. After 35 years of living in Utah, a ghost from the past, Joseph Smith III, showed up on Melissa's doorstep on October 20, 1885, and she relived her marriage to Joseph Smith Jr. once more. Okay, now remember, Joseph Smith III and Melissa knew each other from, right. from years past. Right. And, and she had taken the three young Smith children to school with her. Now, we're just going to do a condensed version of the interview between Melissa and Joseph Smith III, just part of it, to show the difference in the two accounts, because Melissa wrote one thing, and he wrote another of the same interview. It's amazing how different they are. Now, Melissa said that he asked her if she was married to his father. She answered yes, and then showed him the family Bible where the marriage of, of his father and Melissa was on September 20th, 1843, was recorded in the Bible. Well, his version of that question went like this. Now, Melissa, I have been told that there were women other than my mother who were married to my father and lived with him as his wife, and that my mother knew it. How about it? Her answer. If there was anything of that kind going on, you may be sure that your mother knew about it. Now, that's an ambiguous answer, isn't it? It is. <laughs> and, and, and so he could interpret it any way he wanted, and he chose to interpret it as denying polygamy. That it didn't happen. That, uh. That's the way he interpreted the, her answer. Well, in her account, the next question Joseph asked was, were you in a wife his wife in very deed. Well, he figured that if he could prove there was no sexuality, that, that there would be proof that there were no authentic marriages. But Melissa answered, yes, she was his wife in very deed. So he asked, why were there no children? Again, assuming <laughs> that no children equals no sex. She answered, it was probably because of lack of proper conditions on her part, and I have no idea what that means. Uh, but I guess it was a modest answer. Now, this is how that went, according to his account on that question. Did you ever live with him as his wife anywhere? At this point, he claims Melissa began to cry and said, No, I never did, but you have no business asking me such questions. I had a great regard and respect for both your father and your mother. I do not like to talk about these things. Now, Todd Compton says, now he's a historian, and he has read all these accounts and, and, and documented all of these marriages and, and read the biographies and the journals and, and diaries and all that. And he writes that after they parted, Joseph Smith III would have left her to nurse a cognitive dissonance that allowed him to interpret Melissa's words as entirely supporting however he wanted it to be. There's no doubt that she and at least 33 other women were plural wives of Joseph Smith. All the evidence is there. Melissa also testified in the Templot case, and part of it 
went like this. Mm -hmm. Question, <laughs> did you ever room with Joseph Smith as his wife? Answer, yes, sir. Question, at what place? At Nauvoo. Question, how often did you room there with Joseph Smith? Well, there, that is something I can't tell you. Well, was it more than once? Answer, yes, sir, and more than twice. <laughs> Question, did you ever at any other place room with him? Answer, in what way? Of course, I mean as his wife. Answer, yes, sir. Question, at what places? Answer, in my father's house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and again, that's a condensed version. There's certainly longer. And it might be interesting might to do, be a, very interesting to, to do to, a show on the Temple yeah, Lot case and talk about some of the women's responses to the questions, yeah. confirming that they indeed were Joseph Smith's pro-wives. And you've also done more about Joseph Smith III coming out here to Utah to and which we really are grateful for because mm -hmm. he ended up getting these testimonies and stories that we probably wouldn't have as much confirmation just because he was trying to prove his mother was correct right right, the, right. and the RLDS of which they they had the the RLDS back in Missouri uh, of which he was president of um, sure. they still do not believe Joseph Smith was a polygamist they still they believe that Brigham Young is the Despite one that started the journals it all. And the, yeah, they believe Brigham Young made it all up. Even Joseph Smith the third and what he came back with. I'm, I mean, well, he did learn that Joseph Smith had more than one wife. He did, but he chose to, to ignore interpret it, interpret it differently than yeah. than the way it really was, which interesting. is is interesting. Yeah. But that's what the Mormons do. <laughs> When you talk about Joseph Smith's polygamy, they do that same kind of thing, you know. They just ignore the facts and make up things to justify what he did or yeah. refuse to believe that he actually did it, despite the fact that it's there. Yeah, it's not very well talked about. You you know of Brigham Young's polygamy, but not I didn't Joseph know about Smith's. Joseph Smith's polygamy. That's no. right. Yeah. Did you know about the others? Did you know about Wilford Woodruff's and, yeah, well, yeah. and John Taylor's and, and, yeah. and uh, Lorenzo Heber Snow's? J. Grant, I knew that he You knew all of those, wives. but not yeah. Joseph Smith. But not Joseph Smith. And, and really, I thought that any anyone that he had was were women that were sealed to him after he died. Mm -hmm. That's what I kind of thought that had And there, there was that as well, of course. There I'm was sure a lot of that, was, too. But, yeah. But, but these women were actual wives. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about the polyandry or oh, yeah. the young girls or anything like that. So yeah, and and I didn't know anything about that eye either. Yeah, yeah, it was very eye opening. And Hiram also, Hiram was a polygamist, and I don't know how many Mormons realize that that he was. Yeah, and I'd read section one thirty two, but it sure didn't. <laughs> I sure didn't ever focus in at all on that threat to to uh, Emma Smith that mm -hmm. she had to accept them. Mm -hmm. She just must have been in total denial to. Or wanted to protect her kids or something. I don't and know. Protect maybe her own sanity too. Yeah, perhaps. And that's highly possible. Yeah. And there were a lot of testimonies, investigations, of course, that proved that Joseph Smith was a polygamist. He had physical sex with many of his wives. And wife number 31, Melissa Lott, testified to the truth, as did so many others. And we will talk about doing about a show about the Temple Lott case and their testimonies later on. So that's the story of his 30th and 31st wives. Yeah, getting near the end, huh? 32 and 33, <laughs> and then we'll have something else to fall back on after that. Thank you, Earl. You I bet. appreciate it. pleasure. You know, we've told the stories of all but two of Joseph Smith's plural wives. It's a, it's a historical fact. He was a polygamist. And it's disheartening to hear the followers of Joseph Smith make so many excuses to justify his polygamy. And many of them have ideas that are so far from the truth and so far from reality, we just have to shake our heads. You know, it's not good enough to say Smith was just a man. 
They claim he was a prophet. So he should have behaved as a pious, reverent, godly man that they believed he was, but he didn't. And of course, they don't want to know those things that he did that wasn't godly. They continue to claim that God gave him the command to live polygamy, even though they say we don't know why. But God first gave the command that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And because God doesn't change his mind, that commandment completely prohibits polygamy and should end any conversation that says otherwise. Thanks for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.